0: I remember when I was in school, um, the teacher asked me, she said, would you go to my desk and get, um, I don't know what it was, pencil something, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how school works anymore, back then the teacher's desk was the holy place, right? No student, there was like an invisible wall, you didn't go to the teacher's desk, I mean, you know, it's like going to the Oval Office. You didn't go in there. And, and, and I said, where? She said, the middle drawer. And I can remember approaching that desk with so much, you know, kind of like intimidation. And I pulled that drawer and I thought, what would be in a teacher's desk? What's in there? And I pulled it open and whatever it was she told me to get was there, but right beside it were two uh, little, I think it was uh, little mini Snickers candy bars. <laughs> and they were calling my name. Jay. Yes, Lord. Jay. Come and eat me. So I, I looked and I, I started to sweat. I didn't know what to do. I thought they're here. And they want me. What? And I reached and I snatched those two little candy bars. And I stole them. I put them in my pocket. And I went and took the teacher, whatever it was that she asked for. And as the day went on, the guilt just increased on my life. And I thought, my teacher trusted me. Like, not every student was sent to the teacher's desk... To get things. She trusted me and I betrayed her trust. And not only did I not do what she wanted, I did something she didn't want. I stole from her. And then as the day went on, I began to think would she find out? Am I going to get caught? What's going what's to happen now? There's no going back. I mean, I'm a hardened criminal. I can't just, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I'm busted red handed. So I just kind of laid low till the heat blew over. And I hid those things in the bottom of my school bag. And I don't even remember how much time went by. It could have been, you know, it wasn't that day. Because I thought, i got to get away from this as far as I can. And they just stayed in there. It could have been days. I don't know. It could have been weeks. Who knows? And uh, I remember one day those things that just never left my mind what I did. And I thought, well, I, I gotta get them out of there. So I fished down in the bottom of that bag, and they had melted and gotten mushy, and then hardened again, then melted again, then you know the whole thing. And I, and I got it out of there, and I thought, I felt so bad, I thought, I, now I gotta do something with them. I don't wanna get caught, so I opened them and ate one of them. <laughs> and it tasted terrible as it should have. And I don't know if it tasted bad because it had gone bad or if it tasted bad because I had gone bad. But it just tasted bad. Now, to be fair, I was only in kindergarten. I was five years old. Just to be fair. But I'm grateful. And here's why I'm grateful. To my knowledge, that's the last thing I ever stole. Because I never forgot it. Because I felt so bad about it. I felt so, I felt so um, overwhelmed by it. And you know, failure is an overwhelming thing, isn't it? it? It surprises us and shocks us and it just weighs on you. How do you, how do you deal with your failures? What, how do you resolve them? See, we're in an imperfect world and we are imperfect people. So we're going to experience failure throughout our lives. Some of you here, maybe, maybe as you're winding down that last semester of school, you're experiencing academic failure right now. That's the kind we usually think about. Then there's spiritual failure. You know, God, this week I will. Or this week I won't. Or this time will be different. Or moral failure. Sometimes we experience full-blown moral failure because we, or maybe instead of full-blown moral failure, we just keep crossing some lines that are gray. Maybe you said, this time I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to treat my spouse better. But it just hadn't turned out that way. Or maybe you said, this time I'm really going to live for God, but if the truth was told, you sit here this morning and you feel a little numb because the guilt has stacked up on top of you because you know you failed again. The fact is, you and I deal with failure more than we deal with success. That's a reality. The night that Jesus was arrested, two of his best friends... Had massive failures. Judas betrayed Jesus, and the Apostle Peter denied him, which, by the way, is really the same sin. They just did it in a different way. They both denied him. One betrayed him, one denied him. So, this morning, if you're taking notes, I just want to talk about really two things. One is why do we fail? And the other one is what should we do when we fail? So why do we fail? Matthew 26, 31, we're going to be looking uh, at the Apostle Peter's life. Verse 31, then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. I don't know why they believed everything else Jesus told them but didn't believe this. As it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away. In other words, I don't know what the rest of these schleps are going to do. I didn't trust them anyway. But me and you, we're good. Even if they all fall away, I never will. 34, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this is very night in other words before dawn and the rooster crows you're going to deny me three times Peter declared even if I have to die they'll pry me my cold dead hands off your feet I'll be holding on I'll never disown you now here's what I think most people miss and all the other disciples said the same Peter gets blamed for it but I don't know if they're going "Mm mm-hmm Mm Mm-hmm. You tell them. Not having none of this, Jesus. We've been following you three and a half years. We're not leaving now. Why do we fail, number one? We overestimate our strengths. This is what happened to the Apostle Peter. Three times, Peter says he'll never deny Jesus. But within hours, he did. Because he overestimated his strength. You know, a lot of businesses fail because... They overestimate their strengths. A lot of armies lose battles because they overestimate their strength. Students flunk out of school because they overestimate their strength and maybe take too many hours. Spouses fall into affairs because they overestimate their strengths. I can handle this. This isn't wrong. It's just a little flirtatious thing, but I can handle it beware of thinking this could never happen to me. That's when you're in trouble. One of the reasons we have so many failures is because we overestimate our strengths. Given the right situation, I am capable of any sin. And so are you. And the person in the room most at risk for failure is the one who thinks that does not apply to them. We misuse our strengths. We always guard our weaknesses. We hide them, we guard them, we put guardrails up, we go, oh man, I'm weak there, I know I'm weak there, that's a problem. But we don't guard our strengths. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. Or I say it like this oftentimes, a weakness is a strength that doesn't know when to quit. Think about what happened in some of the notable characters in the Bible. Jesus has this euphoric moment of water baptism where the sky opens and a dove lands on him and his father says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That had to be incredibly affirmational to his flesh. But he went straight from that moment into 40 days into the desert of temptation. Elijah beats 450 false prophets and then the next scene he's under a tree asking God to kill him. What happens to to the apostle Peter? They have this incredible moment of the last supper. They're with Jesus hours before he's crucified in the last supper, this intimate moment with God in the flesh. And he goes straight from the last supper to I don't know the man. Unbelievable. Don't presume you know where your failure is going to come from. Because when you do, that's when it's got you. Why do we fail? Number two, we fear the disapproval of others. This is a long chapter, so I want to skip around a little bit. Verse 26 and 58, and then I'm going to jump to 69, 58. But Peter followed him at a distance. Uh Uh-oh, that phrase has always captured me. But Peter followed Jesus at a distance. We already got a problem, don't we? Right up to the courtyard of the high priest, he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. In other words, they've arrested Jesus, they've uh, uh, put him in the inner inner, uh, chamber there, and Peter's on the outside sort of with a cup to the wall, trying to figure out what's going to go on. What's going to happen? Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. You ever had anybody point the finger at you? you wait, 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 wait. You're, you're one of them. You're one of them. Nobody wants to be one of them. We always want to be one of us. <laughs> He's one of them. But he denied it. Look at this. Before them all. He's He's surrounded. Like it's us and them, and I, I'm I'm not I'm not us, I'm them, and I'm by myself. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, "I promise you, this causes more problems in your life than almost anything else. Every time you make a decision based on uh, what other people are going to think, you are ripe for failure." You are sowing the seeds of failure. When you fear disapproval and you go with the flow, maybe even to do the wrong thing to please people you don't even like. You are ripe for failure. You make commitments you can't possibly keep because you're trying to keep everybody happy. And and Peter has just lived... Think about this. He's just lived with Jesus, God's Son, God, God Himself, the invisible, immutable, un- unlimited God, squeezed down into a human body. He's lived with Him for over three years, and the first time the rubber hits the road. So does Peter. He says, I, I don't even know Him. Why? He's more worried about what other people think. Now, now let's, let's talk about that for a minute. How many times... Have you had the opportunity to admit that you were a Christian? At work, or among family, or at the ball field, or in public somewhere, and you didn't say anything. Because the truth is, you were worried about what people would think. So, the question I have for you today is, are you following Jesus at a distance? Like, I want to go to heaven... I want to be forgiven. I want to follow Jesus, but hey, I don't want to be radical. I don't want to be a nutcase. I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to be one of them. I want to follow at a distance. Can I tell you where that will get you? That is a perfect setup for failure. Because that's not the way the Christian life, it's not the way Jesus lived his life. Whose opinion matters to you more than God's? When, when you let anyone else become more important to you than God, they become your God. And that's called idolatry. And, and then you begin to serve them. But we live in, we live in a time of such intense, um, intense desire. To have society's approval and people's approval and maybe parents' approval. But if you don't know who you are, if you don't know who you are in Christ, you will spend your entire life manipulated by other people's approval. Or lack of it. Is that too much? (laughs) Why do we fail? That's what we're talking about. Number three. Because we speak without thinking. Oh, God. People, people make fun of things I say sometimes. I say, hey, listen, you make as many mistakes as I do. It's just everybody doesn't hear them. <laughs> and by percentage, I don't make any more than you make. It's just that I talk a lot more than you do. So cut me some slack. I understand this. But we rarely pause to think about the damage that we do to ourselves or do to others by what we say. We don't think rationally, we think emotionally. And usually when we're talking, and can I, can I update this a little bit, or posting, or texting, we don't consider the unintended consequences of what we're about to say. I, I, look, I've got to the point, I don't even want to read a comment thread on anything. It, it's, it's, social media's become at least to me, more discouraging than encouraging. We're not asking, God, is this what you want me to say? Is this the right time to say it? Because sometimes the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Or is this the right way to say it? Now we call it speaking our mind. We've you know liberated ourselves. It's touted as a mark of courage to say whatever you feel. That's not a mark of courage, that's a mark of immaturity. It's what children do. Children say whatever they feel. But we we set ourselves up for failure when we just say whatever we feel. I'm just telling it like it is, like it is to you. But there's more of us. The the reason we have so many failures in our life is because we speak without thinking and we let our conversations be guided by our emotions rather than a mind controlled by the Holy Spirit and renewed by the Bible. That will lower the failures categorically. Matthew 26, verse 71, the story goes on. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, hey, where are you going? Uh, we're not letting you get away with this. See, he'd have been stopped again. He denied it again. Now look, this time he's, he's antied up, he's ramped up with an oath. With, a, with an oath. With a promise, with a covenant. I don't know the man. There's an exclamation point. I don't know that's the original Greek, but it's there in the English Bible. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. In other words, they blamed him, but he took an oath. So they kind of backed off. You see, after a little while, they kind of had a meeting. After a little while. I don't know, what are you doing? You tell them, I don't know, you tell them. After a little while, they come back and say, Wait, 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 wait. You're not from around here, are you? We can tell by your accent. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them. I don't know the man. He's cursing. He's he's gone mad. He's lost his temper and he's cursing. You know swearing is a sign of frustration and fear? You've shifted straight into emotion. You've left logic. When you perceive your logic is breaking down, you ramp up the emotion and put some edge on your language. Because you say, this isn't effective, this isn't working. I got no other logic or rationale to bring to it, so I'm going to ramp up the emotion and, the, and the, you know, the swear words. So now he's just going emotional. You know what James uh, chapter 3, 5 and 6 says about this? Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. <laughs> it overpromises and underdelivers. That's my translation. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, come on and just tell us what you think. Really? Set on on fire by hell Whoa! what is this you know Jesus I know and Paul I know but who are you Uh, maybe some of you could give an example from this morning (laughs) you're running late come on now one of the kids half dressed pop tart sticking in their hair huh your fault. It's your fault. I told you to get, I asked you to do it. I asked you to do it. Huh? Dragging them in here. We saw you coming in after the offering. I saw you dragging in. You know what I mean? And what happened? You were going to pay for it later. You know you are because right there they go. Here they come. Oh, Did I say that? Yes. And she won't forget. I promise. (laughs) Or he won't. Maybe there's examples in the room. I don't know. Peter did all three of these. And, 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 it created, and it created the biggest failure of his life. And you and I, if we're going to fail, we generally fail for the same reasons. So what do you do? What do you do um, when you fail? Let's talk about that. Here's the first thing. Face the failure. So don't try to do something to make yourself feel better. We are like allergic to negative emotions. And negative emotions are so powerful. And they're so overwhelming. We will do nearly anything to avoid them. Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it's not what's best. Sometimes even if it's not right. If it just relieves the pressure. But I just want to encourage you today... Don't, don't do that. Don't try to do something to make yourself feel better and chase the bad feelings away. Don't try to then double down and go, I'm going to work all the harder now and God's going to be so proud of me. Here's, if, we said, if we said it the way it really is, we would say it like this. God's going to be so proud of me that I'll feel better. See? But don't, don't try to work yourself out of failures by doing a lot of good things. How many of you remember, a lot of you won't. I, I didn't realize this was a dated thing until I was talking to my kids about it. When they didn't know what we are talking about. Do you remember the Sunday newspaper used to have comic strips? Remember? We, they were always in color on Sunday. I don't know why. Remember that? Do you remember Dennis the Menace? Anybody remember Dennis the Menace? Yeah? Yeah? Well, there's a cartoon of Dennis the Menace. The scene is Bedtime Prayers. He's kneeling, his hands are folded, he's looking toward heaven. He has on his pajamas, his cowboy hat, cowboy boots, and six-shooters strapped to his side. And the caption under it says, I'm here to turn myself in. That's good theology, isn't it? I'm here to turn myself in. To get past it, you got to go through it. To get past it, you got to go through it. Grief is the way we heal. And if we do everything we can to avoid grief because it feels bad, we're never going to heal. Because grief is the way we heal, and it's the way we learn the lessons that failure has to teach us. When you swallow your emotions, your stomach keeps score. And it's going to come out some other way. So let me show it to you like this. I've, I've got a, I'm not Nick Sabining up. I'm not getting ready for the press conference. It always says Coke. I don't know why. He probably makes a million dollars a year for that. I make nothing. This is just Coke. So if you, if you take a can of Coke, anybody want this? <laughs> if you take a can of Coke and you do like this, this is what it's like when you and I fail or, or endure some kind of great pain in our life. It shakes our insides up. Shaken to the core. Now, if I open this, right, you know what's going to happen. Like if I, I, right, (laughs) it's going everywhere. But if I put this in the freezer and leave it, it's coming out. It's just going to come out sideways. It's not coming out the top. And you know that's what happens when you and I have failures in our life and we don't face them and we don't grieve them out it doesn't come out the way it's supposed to it comes all out the side and that's what happens so many times when you see a failure in a family and then six months or a year later they get divorced why because it's coming out the side or maybe people go go through some bad thing and they don't deal with it right they don't grieve they don't ever heal and then their body their health starts to break down Why? It's coming out sideways. Maybe you have a a, a failed business and and a a failed job, and it's not ever grieved out properly. There's never any healing, and then then something begins to come out sideways. Another problem that never existed before all of a sudden starts to exist. Why? Because it's coming out sideways. Matthew 26, 75, Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. (laughs) Then he remembered a few hours ago. Before the rooster, the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Listen to this. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Hey, what I say is, well done. Good for him. Because he's not hiding, he's not denying, he's not running away. He's running right at it. And he's going, you know what? It was me. It wasn't anybody else. Wasn't the way I was raised. Wasn't what my mom did or my dad did. Wasn't my girlfriend. Wasn't my boyfriend. Wasn't my husband or wife. Wasn't my kids. Wasn't my job. Wasn't my boss. You know what? It was me. And I feel so bad. I feel so bad. Peter was so disappointed because he had to think, I watched all his miracles. Like of all the humans that have ever lived on earth, there's only a minuscule percentage That will ever get to hear Jesus teach live. And I was one of them. There's only so many original apostles. And I was one of them. He called me by name. I heard his own physical voice call me by name. I, I watched his miracles. I watched him eat with sinners. I was there. And then I pretended like I didn't even know him. How could I? How could I do that? But he owned up. He didn't make excuses. He didn't justify it. He faced it. Now, most of us want to take shortcuts. We have a failed business. As soon as we can, we'll go start another one immediately. We have a failed marriage today. Oh, i got to find another spouse. Quick. If you don't go through the grief, you will never learn what God wants you to learn in the failure, and you take the same old you into the next business, into the next marriage, into the next dream. And it's probably going to fail too. Because you never learned what he wanted you to learn. We're so afraid of negative feelings. Can I just say this to you this morning? It's okay to feel bad. It's not a sin. Actually, there are times that the only right way to feel is bad. And you shouldn't try to fix it or resolve it. It's not intended to be fixed. It's fixing you. But you've got to let it play out. The greater the failure, the more time it's going to take. You can't force healing. You can't rush healing. You can't hurry it up. Healing and recovery is an act of God's mercy, and it usually comes in stages. And about as many stages as the failure took is about as many stages as the healing's going to take. All God wants you to do is to be honest. And humble. Psalm fifty-one seventeen was written by King David, by the way, after he committed adultery. And murdered the woman's husband. And he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Now, now why would God choose to put David's prayer in the Bible for us? Because he's trying to say something to us. God responds to humility, and he responds to brokenheartedness, and he responds to honesty. When you come to God and you just say, you know what, I blew it. I crossed the line, I went too far, it was my fault, the business failed, the relationship failed, the dream failed, and, and God, I'm, I'm broken, I feel, I feel awful. I'm coming with a broken heart, and God says, that is the person that I'm going to heal face your failures number two do not face your failures alone when we fail we feel bad and our tendency is to isolate ourselves like I, I got that's what Adam and Eve did I mean you can't think we're gonna be any different if that's what the first humans did they're hiding and that's what we do with hide because somehow, we're like me with the little candy bars, somehow we're going to fix it. And then we're going to come back and, you know, we'll be better. But it, but it never fixes it. When you isolate, I want you, I want you to listen to this thought this morning. When you isolate yourself, you remove yourself from God's agents of grace. What does that mean? If you are alone, who's going to minister God's grace to you? God has put in the community of faith, in other believers, the ability to affirm the grace of God in your life. And that's critical. James 5 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So what? So what? So that you might be healed. There's healing in the body of Christ. When you share your problem, you cut it in half. When you hide it, you double it. Multiple times after Peter's failure, you can read in the Bible where um, he's with the disciples. I'm going to say it like this. He was hanging out with his life group. It's right there in the Bible. Jesus had a life group. He had a small group. It was his choice. That's the way he did it. The question I have for you is: Do you have a life group? Do you have a group that speaks life that encourages you? Do Do you have people in your life you trust enough to tell them your sins? Who's going to minister God's grace to you when you fail? And you say, "Oh, look, look I, 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 like, I, I'm, I'm just into church. You know, I want to be in here where the Holy Spirit moves and." We worship and all of that. Do you know for the first 300 years of Christianity, there were no corporate gatherings like this? The entire church all over the world functioned in small groups? For 300 years, how did it make it? And it grew like wildfire. Because they met together, they grew together, they incorporated new people together, they broke bread, they went from house to house, they fellowship, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, all of that that you see in the New Testament. When you're alone, you're vulnerable. And, and, and you know why? Because here's how, here's how there's a spiritual warfare nature to this where the enemy will isolate you and pick you off. He wants to separate you from the pack and pick you off. And here's the way he does it. Satan will do everything he can in his power to minimize sin before you do it. Oh, it's not a big deal? That old, that old religion stuff? Oh, no, 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 no. We're modern now. No, we've outgrown all that. No, 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 no. That's tradition. That was religion. That's not for now. We're modern. We're contemporary. We're technologically advanced. We're educated. We've evolved. We've outgrown all of that. No, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. No, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. But then the minute you do it, he'll switch places on you and he'll do everything he can to maximize it. After what you did, Why would God answer your prayer? Why would God listen to a person like you? What right do you have to even go to church? And that's what the enemy does. He'll beat you up on both sides. And that's what the value of a community of faith is. People who know you who can speak into your life and say, stop. It is a big deal. It will do more damage in your life than you think. And then on the back end, they're there to say, no, 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 no. There is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You will not be destroyed by this. God's going to forgive you and He's going to heal you and He's going to raise you up and He's going to help you. This is not the end. But somebody has to be a minister of grace to you on both sides. Other believers can help counteract Satan's voice in your life. Number three, cast yourself on God's mercy. You have to really fast forward into the story to catch this, but um, years went by, Jesus restores the Apostle Peter, we don't have time to look at that, in John 21 this morning. He restores him, his failures are forgiven, he recovers, he's healed... And then later in life, he writes two books, First and Second Peter. And, and I, I want you to see how he chose to open his very first book. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy. Boy, he knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? I walked with the man for three and a half years and then pretended I didn't even know his name. I took an oath, I cursed, I swore. I blew my top. But listen to what he says. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through resurrection. Peter's had a massive failure in his life, but he's not living in failure. He's not living in shame. He's not living in condemnation. He's living in hope because of the mercy of God. And then if you go into my favorite verse in First and 2 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's speaking from experience because he had this big weight of anxiety that he had, to, he had to lay on to Jesus. That word cast, it doesn't mean like throw a fishing net. It doesn't mean like fly fishing. It doesn't mean cast like throw a baseball. It means like I'm carrying this weight around that's about to break my back. I can barely carry it three feet. And I don't know what to do with it. Cast means drop it. Cast means let it go. It means just set it down. So I'm dropping my guilt. I'm dropping my shame. I'm dropping my fear. I'm dropping it all on you. Cast yourself on God's mercy. Because so many times Satan's telling you all those condemning things. After what you've done... And he, doesn't, he wants you to be focused on what you did, not on what Jesus did. He wants you to be focused on what you did, not on God's mercy, because he knows when you're focused on God's mercy, you'll be filled with hope and you'll start to talk like Peter. Praise be to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given me hope. What do you do when you fail? Number four, allow God to use your failures to build his church. Another time when, when uh, uh, Jesus and Peter were meeting, he said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades won't overcome it. This is a word play, because in the original language, um, the word for Peter means a stone, a, a small rock, a pebble. But this other word, rock, means a giant rock, a cliff face, The rock of Gibraltar, like huge. And so Jesus is saying to this man who's just had this huge failure, you might be a pebble today, but you're going to be a rock. You're going to be the rock of Gibraltar, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. See, God wants to build his church on your failures. Do you know why God's going to build his church on your failures? Because that's the only kind of people he's got to work with. There's nobody here that hadn't failed. So so as we wrap up, i got two questions for you this morning. What failure have you had that God wants to use in this church? If you're a business person that's had a failed business, you ought to be helping business people. If If you've experienced bankruptcy, you ought to be helping people with their finances. If you've had a failed marriage, you ought to be helping people strengthen their marriage. If you've had an abortion, you ought to be helping people who are struggling with that decision. If you've struggled with addiction, you ought to be helping people who are struggling with addiction. Don't waste your failure. God wants to use your failures. God will take your greatest failure and he will turn it into your greatest success. So here's the second question. Are you going to respond to your failure like Judas or like Peter? And that's your choice. Judas had a breakdown. Peter had a breakthrough. Judas became a traitor. Peter became a teacher. What are you going to become from your failure? God's mercy can bring blessing from your painful failures. You know, I'm always amazed by this reality when I when I remember to look at it. Jesus has that breakfast on the seashore with Peter and he restores him. And and 50 days. 50 days, not even 2 months. 50 days. From that day, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And of all the people who follow Jesus in his 30-something years of life, who do you think? Who do you think he picks to stand up on Pentecost Sunday at the beginning of the church, the very first opening moment of the church's life the Christian church in the entire world's never existed, at the opening moment who do you think he picks to preach the first sermon 50 days 50 days after saying I don't even know this blankety blank man you're talking about just emotion shooting through his veins who do you think he picks 50 days later Peter stands up and preaches on that day. And 3,000 people are saved and baptized in water. Do you know what would happen if 3,000 people were, were saved and baptized in this church in one day? Can you imagine what would happen? That's what happened and he used the worst one to do it. Don't tell me. You don't know what I've done. Don't tell me you don't know how bad my failures. Don't tell me I know a God that will take your worst moments and he will turn them into a moment of absolute destiny and joy. Come on and stand, come on and stand. God's building this church on your failures because we all got them and he's not gonna waste them he's gonna use your failures to do a lot of healing and a lot of good in other people's lives every eye closed I want to ask our um, our prayer team if you'd come and, and I, I'm gonna end this service very differently than normal I just want you to find a place you can be still with your eyes closed and your heart open. We don't do this very often, but today I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna pray over you. I just wanna pray over you. And as I pray over you, if there are phrases or words that I use as I'm praying that just minister to you, I want you just to grab them and I want you to pray them to. Whatever they are. Right where you stand. It doesn't matter where you are. On the worship team, on the prayer team, standing in a, in a pew, wherever you are. I just want to offer a prayer over your life today. Dear God I've had a lot of failures in my life I've overestimated my strengths I've feared the disapproval of other people I've denied you when I could have spoken up I've spoken without thinking I've done a lot of damage with my words words that I've Spoken in words that I've written. I want to do the right things. My heart is broken today. And I'm sorry. Come on, just tell him. I'm sorry. Help me not to isolate myself. Help me to build relationships that honor you. Lord, today I cast my burden on you. I I let the weight go. I drop that big boulder. I drop my anxiety. I drop my shame. I drop my fear. I drop it at your feet today. I cast myself on your mercy. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But you are a loving and merciful God. And today I receive mercy. Today I receive grace. Today I receive forgiveness. And I thank you that you're a loving God. And I thank you that you are forgiving me. And I thank you that you are healing me. And I thank you that you know me by name. And I thank you that you're encouraging me. And I thank you that you're a faithful God. Please use my failures to build your church. I don't want to be a traitor. I want to be a teacher. I want to teach my family. I want to teach those around me. I want to teach my friends. I want to teach those... who who I have relationship with. Lord, I want to teach by showing them your love, by living a life of love and forgiveness in front of them. I am not perfect, but I am forgiven. And I thank you today for your forgiveness. Now, Lord, I ask you to turn this little pebble into a mighty rock. Lord, I pray that your destiny for my life will be fulfilled. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Here's how we're going to close today. Some of you, you need, you need to pray. You need someone to minister directly to you. And what I'm going to do is the worship team's going to begin to sing and we're going to just dismiss But our prayer team's going to stay. And if you need prayer, you know, it might be a little sensitive. But man, I just want you to know we're for you. We're not against you. And we want to love you and lift you up. So if you need prayer, I just want you to hang around and find one of our prayer team that's just waiting to pray for you and encourage you. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you that today we don't leave this place overwhelmed our own sin but we leave overwhelmed by your grace and mercy as the worship team begins to sing if you need prayer you can come if you need to be dismissed you can be dismissed god bless you great to have you here today